0: If you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. Thank you. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quinarius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, but of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in a swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. as it was told them, this has been the word of the Lord. He may be seated. Thank you so
1: much, Owen, for sharing that from Luke 2. So that you might understand what will transpire, I'm going to bring a Christmas message, and then we're going to commemorate communion together, and then we're going to spend) um, the remainder of our time singing Christmas carols, which uh, probably most of us are anticipating. One commentator said, our Christmases are the product of an odd mixture of pagan ideas, superstition, fanciful legends, and just plain ignorance. And sometimes the real message of Christmas is all but lost in that chaos. Because of that, let me reread and comment on a small portion of what Owen just read from Luke 2, beginning at verse 8. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was located about five miles south of Jerusalem in a region called Ethrapha. It is said that much of the sheep used in the Jerusalem temple sacrifices were raised on the fertile hills in and around Bethlehem. Historians have said that region consisted of prime grazing land, and shepherds raised sheep in those fields 24-7, 365. It is unfortunate, but shepherds were considered a despised class of people in ancient Jewish society. Their constant work schedules in the fields prevented them from participating in most of the nation's religious activities. And their reputation as a whole was said to be so unreliable that shepherds were not permitted to even testify in a court of law. But in spite of the shepherds' inferior social status, it's interesting that no one, no one else from Jerusalem even made an effort to see the infant Jesus during the time he was at Bethlehem, except for these shepherds mentioned in this text. Even though in a societal sense, shepherds on the whole had a less than desirable reputation, the shepherds mentioned here on these hills on that night were an exception to that rule. And that's the reason God selected them to be the recipients of this special announcement. God used an angel to bring this announcement to these shepherds. Uh, Angels are mentioned 108 times in the Old Testament and mentioned another 165 times in the New Testament, and this is one of those times. The actual word angel means messenger. Angels were messengers, and so this is consistent with what angels do. Verse 9, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them meaning before those shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Notice this verse mentions God's glory. This is God's intrinsic glory. God's glory exists in two basic different forms, his intrinsic glory and his indicated glory. His intrinsic glory is that glory that is his because of who he is as God. His intrinsic glory is defined as the sum total of all his attributes and characteristics as God. It is the sum total of all that makes God, God. That's his intrinsic glory. His indicated glory is something different. His indicated glory is that glory we give him as his creatures. His indicated glory is that glory we attribute to him. From praying, to praise, to personal holiness, to serving, to sacrifice, and on and on. Our actions can glorify God, and that's indicated glory. But this divine glory, that night, on that hillside, that those shepherds see, was God's intrinsic glory. And that divine glory was called the Shekinah. Shekinah was God's intrinsic glory manifesting itself as an almost blinding, bright, multicolored light. That's the light these shepherds see. This angel is going to announce to these shepherds that the promised Messiah, Jesus, had just been born. Verse 9, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, before these shepherds, and the glory of the Lord, this intrinsic glory manifesting itself as light, shone around them, And they, meaning the shepherds, were greatly afraid. And who wouldn't be afraid of this bright, almost blinding light and some superhuman celestial beings? That is a normal human reaction. Verse 10, then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. It's interesting that in Scripture, if God himself or if an angel from God spoke to a human being, he sometimes introduced his comments through first telling that person not to be afraid. He would tell them, don't be afraid. Remember, these angels are announcing to these shepherds the first Christmas. And Christmas is not something to be afraid of. Because of the increasing secular societal bias against Christianity, some Christians are actually afraid to mention Christmas. Some on the progressive left, would argue that there never was a war on Christmas, that it was just a fictional war that Christians made up. As recent as 2005, it was more difficult to celebrate a traditional Christmas. At that time, a full 80% of U.S. retailers used religious neutral terminology in advertising and on store signs, such as holiday specials, just in time for the holidays, holiday savings, and happy holidays. It's ironic that those secular merchants didn't understand that the word holiday is actually derived from an old English word that meant holy day. The word actually referred at first, in an original sense, only to special religious observances. December 25th should be celebrated as a most holy day. But Newsweek magazine announced that the culture war against Christmas is now over because the majority of retailers have corrected that earlier unfortunate trend and are now using the more traditional word Christmas. And that's a good thing. It might be that Christmas is getting a small reprieve in some locations But the overall culture war against Christianity is far from over. Politicians on the left are still pushing to have a secular public square where there is no evidence of religion, and especially no traces of the Christian religion. In public schools, Christmas songs such as Silent Night and Joy to the World have long been considered appropriate at annual Christmas concerts But across this nation, school districts are changing their policies and are banning music with religious themes at school-sponsored Christmas events. As an example, German immigrants first brought the Christmas tree tradition to the United States. But there's a public library in a Boston suburb that has refused to erect a Christmas tree for the first time in decades. The reason it has been removed is because, according to the library, the Christmas tree made some people feel uncomfortable, not understanding that the Christmas tree is more secular than sacred, although the famous German Protestant reformer Martin Luther was the first to put lights on the Christmas tree. The courts have ruled that the Christmas tree itself is not a religious symbol. It could be decorated to become a religious symbol, but a Christmas tree in and of itself is not a religious symbol. But this library celebrates other observances, such as Kwanzaa, and celebrates LGBTQ Pride Month, and it conducts an LGBTQ book club once a month, and the library boasts in being inclusive. The town authorities have said, quote, we strive to make this a welcoming community for all. I guess all doesn't include Christmas trees. Once that decision was made public, just recently, there was enormous community pushback. So much so, the library decided to reverse its decision and erect a Christmas tree, under duress, I'm sure and I guess better late than never. But there is still a war against Christians. It's interesting, most all my friends in grade school were Jewish. Most all of them. And none of them were offended that we celebrated Christmas. And in addition to celebrating Hanukkah, most of them actually celebrated Christmas. Some people take the politically correct route and tell people happy holidays, And since Christmas is just one of multiple holidays during this season, happy holidays isn't a bad thing to say, but it isn't the best thing. As Christians, we shouldn't be afraid to tell someone, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Christmas is an opportunity for us to mention Jesus Christ. It's interesting, a piece of trivia, $1.6 billion christmas greeting cards are exchanged each christmas season the third most popular greeting card reads season's greetings the second most popular greeting card reads happy holidays and the most popular christmas card exchange reads merry christmas we shouldn't be ashamed and we shouldn't be afraid to take advantage of wishing people Merry Christmas. Verse 10, then the angel said to them, these shepherds, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings, good tidings, a positive message or good news, of great joy which shall be to all people. Verse 11, for there is born to you this day in the city of David. Bethlehem is referred to as the city of David because it was David's ancestral home. There was born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. Christ means Messiah. Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. The message that constitutes good tidings at Christmas time is not about Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. I personally think he had a drinking problem, but (laughs) it's not about Santa Claus. It's not even about Scrooge's transformation, but the good message that the angel announced is about the birth of Jesus, the promised Messiah and our Savior. It's about God becoming man. That's called the incarnation, God in human form in the person of God's Son, Jesus that's the true message of Christmas. The problem is that all the commercialism and consumerism of the Christmas season tends to crowd out that message. Most of us have heard about the 12 days of Christmas. Some religious groups celebrate 12 festive days starting on Christmas, December 25th, and then climaxing on the 12th day after that, meaning on January 5th, marking the traditional end of the Christmas season. Then there's the popular song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. The song was first published in England in the late 1700s, although it is believed the English stole it from the French. It's called a cumulative song, meaning that each verse repeats the previous verse, building on one another for 12 consecutive verses. This is familiar. Verse 1 reads, On the first day of Christmas my true love sent to me a partridge in a pear tree." A partridge is a medium-sized game bird, a bird hunted for sport or for food. Verse 2, on the second day of Christmas, my true love sent to me two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. And on and on, the song continues until it ends at verse 12. Verse 12 reads, on the twelfth day of Christmas, my true love sent to me 12 drummers drumming, 11 pipers piping, 10 lords a-leaping, those are male dancers, 9 ladies dancing, 8 maids a-milking, 7 swans a-swimming, 6 geese a-laying, 5 golden rings, 4 calling birds, the original lyrics read collie, C-O-L-L-Y, collie birds, collie birds are black birds, then 3 French hens, 2 turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. Since 1984, a Christmas price index was established that adds up the full cost of all those gifts mentioned in the 12 days of Christmas. And this Christmas, 2022, the sum total of the purchase price of those gifts is (laughs) $45,000. That's an extremely impractical song. But worse than that, The birth of Jesus was totally missing from those lyrics. And that's unfortunate because at its irreducible minimum, the Christmas message is about Jesus' birth. One of the most relevant things about those good tidings that the angel brought to those shepherds is that that message just sounds better and better to us because the bad news around us is getting worse and worse. An illustration of how serious things are is from Amazon. It seems that when ebook owners mark sentences in their books, the retailer Amazon seeds that and records it. Recently, Amazon released a list of the most popular passages in some of its best-selling books. And Amazon also released the most highlighted passage in the entire Bible. The result was surprising. I anticipated the most highlighted passage to be John 3.16, or Psalm 23, or the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6. But I was mistaken. The most highlighted passage was none of those. It was another passage that people felt that is most applicable to the societal situation we find ourselves in. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Paraphrased as, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And then verse 7, and, meaning and then, if we do that, the peace of God... The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Understand that the contrast between the ugliness and the evilness going on out there and what is said in here, in this room, this evening, The contrast is huge. We need some good tidings. We need a positive message. We need a message of hope. And Christmas is that message because Christmas is about Jesus' birth. Christmas is about Jesus being born of a virgin, his sinless existence on this earth, and then his sacrificial, substitutional death for sins On a cross his burial and then his subsequent resurrection from the dead and because of the salvation Jesus is made possible there is hope in all the craziness around us verse 11 for there is born to you this day in the city of David Bethlehem a savior notice a savior who is Christ the Lord this was actually prophesied earlier to his stepfather, Joseph, before Jesus' birth. Matthew 1, verse 21, an angel came to Joseph and made this announcement, and she, meaning Mary, will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Joseph didn't select this name from an ancient baby book. The angel instructed Joseph and his mother to name the child Jesus. In the Hebrew language, Yeshua. And then he stated the reason this was to be his name. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Notice Jesus was identified as the Savior. And the actual name Jesus means Jehovah. Jehovah is God's personal name. Jehovah saves or Savior. That's the essence of the name Jesus. And Savior means forgiver. God didn't send us a salesman because we don't need another product. God didn't send us a politician because our need isn't more legislation, for real. God didn't send us a scientist because our fundamental need isn't more research. God didn't send us a five-star general because we don't need another war. But God sent us a savior Because we all need forgiveness. Forgiveness from sin is the primary reason for Christmas. Verse 12, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths. Notice it's cloths, not clothes. Swaddling cloths. Lying in a manger. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Meaning this angel is joined uh, by a multitude of other angels. Imagine this. This is fantastic. And these angels are praising God, and notice, saying, not singing. I love the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It was created in 1739, and uh, is based on these verses, 13 and 14. Uh, the opening line reads, Hark the Herald angels sing. In a technical sense, that's called artistic license because that's not how the text reads. The text reads the angels were saying, not singing. It's possible the angels were singing. It's entirely possible, but we don't know that. That's conjecture. And there's a significant difference between saying and singing. As an example, my sermons are said, not sung. And we all are grateful for that. (laughs) Verse 14, these angels said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, peace, goodwill toward men. Christmas should be, and Christmas could be, a time of reconciliation. The angels promised peace on earth. And that means both vertical peace and horizontal peace. God not only wants us to have peace with himself in a vertical sense, meaning between us and God, through salvation in his son Jesus, through accepting that, we can have peace with him. But God also wants us to have peace on a horizontal sense with other people. Romans 12 verse 18 reads, If it is possible... Sometimes it isn't possible. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, we are responsible for ourselves. We are not responsible for someone else's actions or reactions against us. We are responsible for our own actions and reactions. If it is possible, live peaceably with all men. In the Peanuts cartoon, Lucy said to Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown, it's Christmas season. I think we ought to bury our differences, forgive each other, and and try hard to be kind and get along. Charlie Brown said, Lucy, that's a great idea, but why just this Christmas season? Why don't we do that all year long? Lucy responded, Charlie Brown, what do you think I am, some kind of a fanatic? (laughs) Yes, Lucy, we should all be fanatical about restoring personal relationships. A hospital nurse said, the hospital was unusually quiet that bleak January evening, quiet and still like the air before a storm. She said, I stood in the nurse's station on the seventh floor. It was 9 p.m., so I threw a stethoscope around my neck and headed for room 712. Room 712 had a new patient, a Mr. Williams, who was all alone. I entered the room, and Mr. Williams looked up eagerly, but then he dropped his eyes when he saw it was only me, his nurse. I pressed the stethoscope over his chest and listened. Strong, slow, even beating. There seemed little indication. He had suffered a slight heart attack just a few hours earlier. He looked up from his starched white bed and said, Nurse, would you? And then he hesitated, and tears filled his eyes. I touched his hand and waited. He brushed away a tear and said, Would you call my daughter? Tell her I've had a heart attack, but please mention it's a slight one. See, I live alone, and she's the only family I have. Of course I'll call her, I said, as I studied his face. He gripped the sheets and pulled himself forward. His face tense with urgency. Please, nurse, please, will you call her right away as soon as you can? I'll call her right away, I said, patting his shoulder, and then I flipped off the light. He closed his eyes. Room 712 was dark, except for a faint nightlight underneath the sink. Oxygen girdled in the green tubes above his bed. But reluctant to leave, I moved through the shadowy silence to the window. The panes were cold, and behold, below a foggy mist curled throughout the hospital parking lot. Nurse, nurse, he called. Could you get me a pencil and paper? I dug out a scrap of yellow paper and a pen from my pocket, and I set it on the bedside table. Then I walked back to the nurse's station and sat in a squeaky swivel chair by the phone. Mr. Williams' daughter was listed on his chart as the closest relative. I got her number and dialed. Her soft voice answered, and I said, Janie, This is Sue Kidd, a nurse at such and such a hospital. I'm calling about your father. He was admitted tonight with a slight heart attack. No, no, she screamed into the phone. He can't be dying, can he? I responded, his condition is stable at the moment, trying hard to sound convincing. You mustn't let him die, she said. And her voice was so utterly compelling that my hand trembled on the phone. He's getting the best possible care, I said. But you don't understand, she pleaded. My daddy and I haven't spoken in almost a year. We had a terrible argument on my 21st birthday. It was over my boyfriend. I ran out of the house and I haven't been back. All these months I've wanted to see him and to ask him for his forgiveness because the last thing I said to him was, I hate you. I hate you. Her voice cracked, and I heard her heaving great agonizing sobs. I sat there, listening and tears burning my eyes, a father and a daughter that were so lost to one another. And then I thought about my own father, who was in a distant state, and it had been so long since I had said to him, I love you. And then as Janie struggled to control her tears, I breathe the prayer please God please let this daughter find forgiveness I'm coming I'm coming now I'll be there in 30 minutes she said and she hung up I tried to preoccupy myself with a stack of charts on the desk but I couldn't concentrate room 712 I just knew I had to get back to that room I hurried down the hall almost in a run I opened the door to find Mr. Williams but he wasn't moving I immediately reached for his pulse, and there wasn't one. Code 99, room 712, code 99, STAT. That alert was screaming through the hospital in just seconds after I called the switchboard through the intercom by the bed. Mr. Williams had had a cardiac arrest. With lightning speed, I leveled the bed and bent over his mouth, breathing air into his lungs. I positioned my hands over his chest and compressed and counted. I moved back to his mouth and breathed as deeply as I could. Where were the people coming to help? And once more, I compressed and breathed, compressed and breathed. He just couldn't die. Oh, God, I prayed desperately. His daughter is coming. Please, please, God, don't let it end this way. The door burst open. Doctors and nurses poured into the room, pushing emergency equipment. A doctor took over the manual compression of the heart. A tube was inserted through his mouth as an airway. Nurses plunged syringes of medicine into the intravenous tubing. I connected the heart monitor, but there was nothing, not a single beat, and my own heart pounded. God, please, please, don't let it end like this not in bitterness and hatred. God, his daughter is coming. Let her find peace. Please, God. Stand back, said a doctor. I handed him the paddles for the electrical shock to the heart. He placed them on Mr. Williams' chest, and over and over we tried, but nothing, no response. Mr. Williams was deceased. A nurse unplugged the oxygen. The gurgling stopped, and one by one they left, each of them grim. And silent how could this happen how I stood by his bed absolutely stunned a cold wind rattled the window pelting the panes with snow outside everywhere seemed to be a bed of blackness cold and dark how could I face his daughter I left the room and then I saw her against the wall by a water fountain a doctor who had been inside the room only moments before stood at her side talking to her, gripping her elbow. And then he moved on, leaving her slumped against the wall, such pathetic hurt reflected from her face, such wounded eyes, because she knew. She knew the doctor had told her that her father was gone. I took her hand and led her into the nurse's lounge. We sat on little green stools, neither of us saying a word, She stared straight ahead at a pharmaceutical calendar, glass-faced, almost breakable-looking. Janie, Janie, I am so sorry, I said, but it seemed so pitifully inadequate. I never hated him. I really didn't. I was just angry when I said that. I didn't mean it. I loved him, she said. I always loved him. I thought, God, please help her. And then suddenly she turned around toward me and said, I want to see him. My first thought was, why put yourself through more pain? Seeing him will only make it worse. But I got up and wrapped my arm around her. We walked slowly down the corner to room 712. Outside the door, I squeezed her hand, wishing she would change her mind about going inside. But she pushed open the door. We moved toward the bed huddled together, taking small steps in unison. Janie leaned over the bed and buried her face in the sheets. I tried not to look at her. I didn't want to see this sad, so sad goodbye. I backed up against the bedside table, and suddenly my hand fell upon a scrap of yellow paper. I remembered that piece of paper. I had left it for Mr. Williams.' I picked it up it read my dearest Janie I forgive you I pray you will also forgive me I know that you love me and I love you too signed daddy that note was shaking in my hands as I thrust it toward Janie she read it once and then twice And then her tormented face turned radiant, and peace began to glisten in her eyes. She hugged the scrap of paper to her breast. Thank you, God, I whispered. Thank you, thank you. Looking out the window, a few crystal stars blinked through the blackness. A snowflake hit the window and melted away, gone forever. Life seemed as fragile as that snowflake on the window. But I said, thank you, God. That relationship's Sometimes as fragile as snowflakes can still be mended together again. There is no better time than Christmas to restore personal relationships. Part of the reason Jesus was born. Let's bow our heads, would we? Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Father, I thank you for the significance of this evening, Christmas Eve, Someone said Christmas can be summarized in three words. God with us. And that is so true. Your son, Jesus, who originated as the eternal God of this universe, some 20 centuries ago, came to this earth to be born of a virgin. He was born. He lived a life we couldn't live. And then he died a death we deserve to die. He was buried, and he came back to life, proving that he was more than a man, but that he was God. And, Father, my concern tonight is if there's anyone in this room who has never received Jesus, Jesus, who is the reason for this season, if anyone has never received him, I pray, God, that you would convince them to come see me after this service so we can set up a time so we can sit down together and I can pray with them and they can reach out from their heart and receive Christ for themselves. Father, I don't want anyone in this room to miss heaven, and I hope and pray no one does. Thank you for what we've learned tonight and bless our remaining time in Jesus' name, amen.